0: get myself hooked up here in the meantime while i'm getting this all straightened out uh well it's good to see all of you back again god bless you we were talking in the back there a little bit you we uh you know about uh, how god's been good you know and he's been very kind the question isn't always whether god has been good to us the question is as we were saying is whether you've been good to god isn't that right you know god's going to be good (laughs) you know that Question is whether you're going to be the one. Uh, let's see here. Um, we may have a problem here. I don't think we re- took off the messages from the previous recordings. Yeah, you want to come up here for just a second? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? She's. We put a brand new card in here. I was reading, it's supposed to be 50, I-, I thought it said 50 minutes, it's 50 hours. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You heard me right. I'm going to be here for a while. Yeah, that's right. I forgot I got a new card on here. Woo! We're going to do some preaching today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, here we go. All right, wonderful. Well, it's good to be back. I'm glad to uh, once again have the opportunity to share with you what the Lord has placed on my heart, and I hope and pray that the time we spend together will be a profitable one for the kingdom of heaven. I know that we have been each one has uh, each one of us has been involved in. Uh, you know the various trials of life as 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 we walk in the journey of being a christian you can't help but face yes. affliction that's a part of life now to, yes. it, it varies to the degree obviously from person to person and yes. family to family and even region to region and so forth however though i can't help but think that in the last um couple of years as i've come back here and talk. Obviously, we've gone through some very serious times. And I think that when we reflect upon these things, it uh, it is of a, a, essential that we evaluate our own lives. God allowed these things to take place for a divine purpose. Yes, you know, we may not like uh, certain things uh, regarding the nature of... Uh, Perhaps you know whether it's uh, this group in charge or that group or whatever in terms of politics or whatever, but it doesn't matter. God, the Bible says, God sets up kings and He puts them down in the end. The final analysis, friend, remember, God is in control. Yes, the Lord Amen. rules and reigns on this earth. This earth doesn't belong to Satan. Yes, uh, this earth doesn't belong to to the to the, uh, the government or the uh, or any government on the face of this earth. Amen. They may have ill-gotten intent regarding the nature of what they want to do on this earth but they can only do what our father in heaven allows them to do and so uh i've done a lot of thinking regarding the nature of of where do we fit in all this because i really believe with all my heart in many ways we collectively collectively as god's people have let the world down amen now, uh, I've said this before and in other ways, but I really truly believe we have forgotten who we are. Amen. Our divine purpose, why we're here. Yes, We're not supposed to be just another church. Yes, sir. God's got, listen, there are plenty of them. Yes. We need to be something different. And the yes. Bible declares it very clearly. We're the remnant. Yes. We're not a part of the remnant. We are the remnant. And uh, that places upon us great responsibility and really a privilege, an enormous privilege has been placed a- upon us to be members of this. I've, I have thought within myself plenty of times, why, God, did you bring me to the Seventh-day Adventist faith in, in this church? Why? Why not the Baptists? Why not the Methodists? Why not the Presbyterians or the Episcopate? You know, Why? Why this group? Yes. There's a divine purpose. Yes. A divine call. What a privilege that you and I have been called into this faith. Yes. It truly is. And every time I think of Seventh Day Adventist, you know the, the the concepts and ideas of the what makes up the theology of our of our faith. It's amazing how orderly it is.
1: Yes. Sir.
0: There's no loose ends. If there's loose ends, it's because you have an improper understanding. If there's dysfunction regarding the nature of a particular subject, it's not the subject that's dysfunctional, it's your way of thinking. Yes. If there is a misunderstanding regarding the nature, the role, of the function of the spirit of prophecy, the problem isn't the spirit of prophecy. The problem is you are misunderstanding the proper function and role of the spirit of prophecy for us in these last days. Yes. God bestowed upon us much, and he expects much from us. And so so we are stewards, we are stewards of of the the wonderful jewels and and gems that God has blessed us with, namely the wonderful truths of the Holy Bible. Now that doesn't mean we're better than anybody, it doesn't mean we're superior to anybody, it doesn't mean that guarantees me going to heaven. But it does... It does help me to organize my own life in this unorganized world. And it does help me to see things as they really are. Not as I wish them to be. You see, I believe too many people are living in the, in the realm of fantasy. Yes. They go about this world in a fictitious way. And never having their, pl- their feet planted in the realm of reality. Because they're, they're trying to excuse so many things that go on not only in this world but in their own lives. And you cannot be a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and sit there and fantasize your life away and still think you're walking with God. The Bible is a book of reality. It is not, it is not a fantasy. It's not fiction. This is reality. And I might add, because the book is a book of reality, it is, therefore, a book that deals with issues that must be confronted from generation to generation. Therefore, because the Bible is very plain and simple in regard to the nature of the things that God wishes to communicate to us in these last days, you have to understand that God is not in the business of making you... Content regarding the nature of the things that he has said, he wants you to be shaken up. Yes, sir. because he knows we, as God's people, are in a state most deplorable. It's called the Laodicean state. We're neither neither hot nor cold. We're in a lukewarm condition. We do not want to see the reality of the things that exist around us. And more importantly, what goes on in our own lives. Because if we wake up to reality, we're not going to like what we see. Yes, God is a God of reality. God does not speak to you in a way to give you comfort when you don't deserve to be comforted. He comforts you only when you come to the realization you're in need of him. Yes, sir. I've heard people say, you know, you shouldn't, the way you preach, you, you make people feel guilty. I always say, amen,
1: <laughs> good.
0: I'm not comfortable when you preach.
1: Praise yes, the Lord, I've done
0: something right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. May have done a lot right in my past, believe me, I wasn't always trust listener. listen I wasn't born walking around with a Bible. Yes, You understand, when I was a young boy, believe me, I wasn't holding a Bible. God uses the situation that you're in to bring you up. Uh, about to a point where he makes you uncomfortable in your lethargy. Where you're just lethargic. You're just sitting back and you're, you're just like a lukewarm bath. You're just slowly falling asleep. And God's got to wake you up. Yes. See, this is not the time to sleep. Yes. The remnant church has a divine purpose and mission in this world. We need to be the head. Deuteronomy 28, God said, if you go back into the book of Deuteronomy and read it carefully, it's the book of the covenant. And basically, you know, people have relegated the book to a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, don't do this, don't, don't do that. Look, what he tells you is very, very simple. He said, I want to enter into a covenant with you. This is what God says. Now remember, a covenant is between two parties. God says, I want to enter into a covenant with you. Here's what I'm gonna do for you. This is and he lists everything he's gonna do for you. He says, I'll make you the head and not the tail. Yes. I'll bless you and prosper you in so many ways you can't imagine. He says, I I will I will forgive you of your sins, I will heal you of your diseases, both physically and spiritually. And he goes on to talk about how, how he'll crown us with glory. Not only, listen, not only in the world to come, but even in this world. He even says, he goes on to talk about how that, how that nations will come to you and seek for the truth and the answers. Because they'll say, you know, listen, you're different than everybody. There's something different about you. you, you you've been blessed. Yes. And every one of us, we look around, we see we've been cursed. Yes. What do you have to offer? What is it that makes you different? Why are you so blessed and special? And then we have the opportunity, all oh, blessings to the Almighty, to tell Him, well, I'll tell you why. It's not because of anything that I've done. It's because what He has done for me. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. All I did was enter into a covenant relationship with Him. Now, listen to me. In a covenant relationship, you have to understand something. There generally... When you look at a covenant contract, right, you know, you do, let's say you want to buy a car. You you know, when you're buying a car in a transaction, that's a covenant relationship you're making with the owner of that car. Yes. And so you go to the owner, say, I'd like to buy that car. And I say, well, that's all right. I'd be more than happy to sell you that car. But we're going to be in a covenant agreement over this. Here's the contract. And there are stipulations regarding the nature of how we can uh, finalize that contract. Now, you got to meet. You've got to meet all of the requirements. And when you do, I'm going to give you the car. Now, that's generally how it works. Now, in God's situation, there is a transaction that does occur. There's no question about it. The transaction does take place. And you do need to meet certain requirements. There's no doubt about that. But in this particular situation, it's God who makes all the promises, and we have not one promise to make. Because you can't make a promise, and I'll tell you why you can't make a promise to God. Because the implication is that you can fulfill what you've just stated. But you're incapable of fulfilling your promises because you don't have the ability to do so. See, this is what's the problem with the Jews in the Old Testament. This is why they failed. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 makes that very, very clear. That's why when Mount Sinai said, everything you said, Lord, we will do. They made a promise to God and He said, mm, you made your first mistake. What, you sh- what they should have said is, God, we hear everything you've just said. We heard you, but Lord, we are in capable of doing it. We don't have the means by which we can accomplish that will, but God, we know you're the Almighty and you can do for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves if we but place our wills on the side of your will. Then it's your will working through our wills in so that we will be simply accomplishing your will. They would have been victorious had they had faith to believe in God to do for them what they were incapable of doing for themselves. Amen. And so in the covenant that God makes there in the book of Deuteronomy says, if you will do what I ask, if you follow me, if you will do these things, here's what I'm going to do for you. And as I stated to you before, there in Deuteronomy 20, he says, I'll make you a great." He said, I'll bless you. He said, I'll make you the head and not the tail. He said, but, but if you disobey me, you disregard my commands. You turn aside what I have asked of you. He said, that, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to you and you're not going to like it. And you go through and you study it very carefully because if you want to know why this nation of ours which was once so great in so many ways is so so deplorable now mm-hmm. you you would think someone even even if they didn't know god would have enough common sense to realize something's not only wrong but we got to put a stop to some of this stuff cuz it's going crazy Amen. but you see what happens what happens is god tells us in the holy scriptures Apostle Paul says, there'll come a day, this is Jesus, Is there come a day when you're so determined to do wrong, God will give you over to a reprobate mind. You love perversion? You want to be that? That's what you want. God will say, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to. Now, he'll send preachers and others to come along to warn you, to help you. To not commit such an act, but he'll eventually say, if you persist in this rebelliousness, I will allow you to have what you want. And he'll step away, as it were, and let you have it. In other words, the flood comes in now. Here comes the flood. Yes. Sir. Yes. Sir. Then you wonder, oh Lord, I can't breathe. Oh Lord, it's, it's beyond me. Why are you doing this to me? God said, I'm not doing anything to you. You love your sin more than you love me. So therefore, since you are the servant of sin, you your master. You don't understand sin is a hard master. Yes. He doesn't love you. He, he has no mercy. There's no such thing as mercy in sin. Yes. Mercy is ruthless. Brutal. Unforgiving. It's a taskmaster. When you're awake, sin beats you down. When you're asleep, Sin haunts your mind in the dreams you have. Your conscience is bothering you and yet you think, you would think you would come to your senses and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. No, no. What most people do, you know what they do? They hunker down deeper in the position of their sins, thinking that if I just pull myself by the bootstrap, I'll get myself through it. I got news for you. You are never going to beat sin in your own strength. It is ruthless. And it will devour you like fire devours wood. It will leave neither root nor branch, yes. and it will slowly sap away your life, any happiness, joy. You get, people say, Boy, oh, Frank, you've done change. There's something wrong with you. Well, you used to be happy. What's wrong? How, oh, Frank? How come you're that way?" Yes. Takes all the happiness, life, joy out of you. Yes. On the other hand, when you come to Jesus Christ, no matter what you may have done in the past. There's hope. There's yes. forgiveness. There's mercy. Mm-hmm. A new life is created in Christ Jesus. Yes. He doesn't modify, patch up the old life. No. God says, listen, to me, in this transactional agreement that we have for that old life, listen, hey, give me that old life. Because I'm going I'm to bury it. Yes. I'm going to put it under. And if you'll let me, by the grace of God, if you'll let me, I'll keep them under. You understand? Amen. I'll keep him under. If you let me. I can keep him under. You can But if you'll let me, I'll keep him under. Yes. And in exchange, I'll give you a new life in Christ Jesus. Yes. Where your mind won't be your mind. It'll be my mind. Yes. Your will won't be your will. It'll be my will. Your life won't be your life. It'll be my life. Yes. Your righteousness won't be your righteousness. be my righteousness. The life you live in this earth... Will be my life through you. Yes, Amen. A new creature is born. New life emanates. Yes, the United States of America is a deplorable country today. Yes, and I say this as an American who's proud of being an American. I don't mean that in a bad way, proud, you know, arrogant. I don't I mean I'm I'll let me tell you, I've been around this world. I have never been to Antarctica. I've been to every other continent, but I trust me, and I don't want to go to Antarctica. I have no desire. Uh, and if there's anybody there, uh, then they can tune in on to my website and I'll preach through the website to them. We'll go do a Zoom meeting. <coughs> I just don't like the cold. Uh, but the thing is, that, you know, when, when, when uh, you look at what's going on, You gotta, in my mind, I'm looking around at us as a people again collectively. I say, Where are we? Where are we? What's happened to us? And I think, as I said to you before, I believe personally, we have fallen fast into a very deplorable condition ourselves in that we are content with this world. We love living in this world. We love the things of this world, and sadly to say, very few within the Church of Christ today are even awakened to the reality of what's taking place around us. We are just going from day to day, week to week, month to month, year after year, and this—and it's basically the status quo.
1: Yes,
0: it's just same old, same old. Oh, off when I see you, church. Hey, man, God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Then go right back to what I was doing before when I go home. We have learned the art of playing church. That's right. You understand? That's right. I've said this before, and I might have said it to you all. Bef- I don't remember, but I'll say it <clears throat> anyway. Every time, every year, you know, the, the, the Hollywood <clears throat> has a, award shows, you know, for various reasons. But one of they have the Academy Award, Right. The best actor, all those directors and producers. I always say they always get the best actor and actress wrong every year. Every year. Because the winners should always be those who claim to be Christians. Yes, Because they're the best actors in the world. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, they're just phony. <laughs> they're playing a part. Yes. Oh, we play it good too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. I know I should have won a couple of them. But especially Seventh-day Adventists. We're the best actors of them all. We go around acting. We're the remnant. We believe, so we say, in the spirit of prophecy. We say we claim those promises. And in so doing, acknowledge the three angels' message as the very gospel with which to give to the world. And along with that, the accompanying of the health message, the right arm of that everlasting gospel, is to go to all the world. And when the crisis comes and everything is set, God set the table for us. Instead of, instead of us sitting at the table and, 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 and giving what God required of us what, what we did, we just remained silent and in so doing, we have condemned God before the world yes. mm-hmm. and we have condemned ourselves. <clears throat> yes. I can't help but believe all the people who have died and are dying even now as a result of what has happened isn't in some way our fault. Yes, yes. Why listen. When God set the stage for Noah.
1: Yes.
0: Now, Noah wasn't a, 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 a man who, without fault. He had his faults. He's human. He was human. But at that point, what happened was, you've got to remember, there was a commitment that Noah made to God at some point. we do not sure where in his life. Because remember, I, 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 let me pull back. When I say Noah was without, without his fault, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. At some point, Noah sinned. Yes. However, though, at some point, Noah turned his heart to God. And from that we know with the Holy Spirit, he was a righteous man, perfect in the eyes of God Almighty. In other words, at some point he said, God, take over. Live your life out through me. And that man was a godly, holy man. Now, God set the stage for Noah. He had prepared the table. The antediluvian world had become so corrupt, so immoral, so perverted. God said, that's enough. That's enough. You pushed me one too many times. By the way, there are those who seem to think that when God destroyed the answer of the world, that somehow that, that is a condemnation on God as if God is so cruel and mean and vicious. No, 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 no. Hang on here. Hold up here. Let me tell you something about the almighty God. He's, he, listen, mercy cannot be felt until you understand the hand of justice. Do you understand that? People seem to think God, God, and He's all sweet like, a, like, 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 a, like a cotton candy. Oh, I love God; He's cotton candy sweet. I said, "Well, He is, only after you felt the hand of justice, yes, sir. then you understand what it means to eat the cotton candy sweet." Do you understand? God can listen in the preaching of the gospel. In the preaching of the gospel, you have to tell the people the truth. And in so doing, it is God not the preacher. It is God who delivers that message to the third person of the Godhead and then moves on the conscience of that individual. In so doing, pricking their conscience and making them understand they're living a life contrary to the sovereignty of the will of God and condemning them in their unrepentant condition, hoping that in so doing they will have their eyes open and repent of their sins and call upon God Almighty to save them. And then comes the sweet nectar of mercy. Yes. The remnant church has been called by God Almighty for a divine purpose. Yes, sir. We have a moral responsibility to the world, yes, but that collective unit known as the remnant must remember that in order for the church at large to be the means by which God will use to bless the world it all begins right at home with you with me individually in other words we cannot be a blessing to the world unless i am a blessing to for God. Unless you're a blessing for God. And so forth and so on. It begins with you in the home.
1: Yes. Amen.
0: The reason the church is the way it is because at home that's when the real you appears. Amen. What you are in the privacy of your house is what you really are. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <clears throat> now Bible makes it very clear. God is no fool. That's right. You may deceive me and I may deceive you. That may well be the case. However, though, we will never deceive the Lord God Almighty.
1: Amen.
0: That's Amen. never going to happen. You know, God sees the end from the beginning. He yes. knows the intent of your heart. He knows the motivation of every act and, and everything you ever do in life. He knows. And it's all being written down. Yes. Imagine that.
1: Yes.
0: How would you like to read your life? I don't know about you, but I said, God, no, thank you. You can keep that book closed. <laughs> I have no desire. Trust me. I'm telling you, you, you know, some people, I don't understand insanity, although I've, I've committed it on many occasions. However, though, I think sometimes people are so insane, they love to see the darkness of their own hearts. I, I've seen enough of my own heart to know it's dark. <laughs> I don't need to see any more. Yes. God, please yes. keep me from the darkness. Yes. And, friend, let me tell you something right now. Uh, I've, I've tried to emphasize this particularly lately <clears throat> in the last year or two, but we desperately need to understand the, the doctrine of the depravity of man. You don't yes. understand how corrupt yes. you really are. Yes. Yes. Do you have, if you take every Bible verse in the, in the Holy Scriptures that deals with the nature of man, okay? Before they're converted, and by the way, even after you're converted, you have to understand something. This is a state of reality. And in other words, you, when the Bible says that, you know, through Isaiah, from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, there's nothing good in you. It's putrefying sores, It bruises. Yes. I mean, there's nothing good in you. Yes. That's a statement of reality. Even after I'm converted, let me explain what I mean. In other words, the only reason I, if I live a righteous, godly life, a holy life, it's not because of anything I've done. Yes. It's not me. Yes. I know, I know it's Christ in me. Amen. You understand? Yeah. I know that in my natural state, I'm corrupt, evil, demented, deranged. I'm wicked. Yeah. That's the natural state of man. That's yeah. the natural the doctrine of the depravity of man.
1: Yes.
0: Now, we don't, as, as, as believers in the Holy Scriptures, and <clears throat> we don't go to the degree which a lot of evangelicals have gone regarding the nature of the depravity of man. We do not believe in the, the, the bondage of the will. We believe in the freedom of the will, even though the fact that, that in, in the doctrine of the depravity of man, it teaches that your will is been, is defective. Yes. It's not held captive, yes. whereby you can no longer function in the capacity of choosing.
1: Yes.
0: You understand? It's defective. It's like having a car. It's kind of broken down. It's not running the best, right? It's just, not that. What you need is a real master mechanic. Not a mechanic. No, no. You need a master mechanic because he's the only one who can straighten out the mess of that car.
1: Yes, sir.
0: <clears throat> the doctrine of the depravity of man teaches that the will, the will is, is defective. Mechanically, you have to understand our nature. Mechanically, we're broken. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're not born with a proclivity, a, a bent toward doing that which is right. You're not born with a desire. You know I think today I'm going to pray. That doesn't come natural to you. That's right. That's right. If you let yourself go and, re- and, and, and release your hands from the hand of God Almighty, we're you don't have to sit around thinking about doing sin. You won't do it because there's a natural bent towards it.
1: Yes. Sir.
0: Now you must activate the will to do so. Remember, sin is not, please listen, sin is not the state in which you are in, rather, it, it sin is the choice that you make. You understand? It's not a state of being. Some people say, Well, sin is nature. No, it's not. Sin is a choice you make. Okay? And the reason is you must exercise the will. There has to come light to the mind to the conscience, and then therefore you must now decide what you're gonna do. Follow God or follow Satan? Yes. Once you make an activated, uh, uh, once you activate the will regarding that, if you choose against God, you have sinned. See, it's not a sin to be tempted; it's a sin when you yield to that temptation. Sin is a choice; it's not a state of being. And man needs to understand the depravity of of, of, of the nature of man. We need to understand who we really are outside of Jesus Christ. We are helpless, hopeless, useless. But in Christ, I'm, I, I'm everything that he can make me to be.
1: Yes. You
0: understand? All that's good and holy and righteous. In other words, dear friends, in Christ there's hope. Yes. And I don't care who you are, what you think you are, or where you've been, or what you've done. I can tell you this. In the word of the Lord, where, grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Yes. The remnant church today needs to wake up. We are in trouble. The world is perishing like an old garment. It's waxing old, like an old garment. It's just fading away slowly but surely. At some point in time, at some point in time, we have to wake up.
1: Yes, sir. Yes. Sir.
0: And I'm going to tell you something. I was listening to a radio program, a talk radio program the other day, and these were a bunch of Christians, and uh not not Seventh-day Adventist uh, Christians, but they were Christians. And uh, they were talking about the condition of the world and what's going on and so forth, and and uh, and they were questioning the idea of whether or not whether or not God would ever bring about another revival, uh, and to the point where we would go back to where we were before. And what they really meant by that, or at least one or two of them, what they really meant by that, the issue was they didn't they wanted to go back to the quote normalcy uh, that things used to be before COVID. You know, because life wasn't that bad. I mean, it was so hard. You could go to church and worship God. You could read your Bible. You could read your spirit of God. Nobody was hurting you. You go to work. You come home. You pay your bills. You, right? Life wasn't that Life wasn't that hard. And so <coughs> I sat there when I was listening to that, thinking uh, to these fellas talk, because uh, one of them brought up a man by the name of... Uh, of um, <coughs> Oh I forgot his name now But well, maybe that's a good thing you know, That way I won't be sued <laughs> uh, <coughs> How that this gentleman He's about an 84 year old preacher And basically he believes in the dispensationalism Which relegates itself down to the issue of the secret rapture And he was simply saying Look friends it's over It's over It's finished And uh, he says but not for God's people not for God's people, because there's a there's a book that has your name written on it. And so far, I thought I, I thought I myself, oh, okay, that's true. We, our names are written in the book. But what he was implying was simply this: <clears throat> get ready for the secret rapture, because don't worry, because it don't matter anymore. Uh, we're all getting out of here anyway. And he was basically, saying, he said basically, it was I feel sorry for those who don't have their names in the book? Well, I do too. But this notion, this notion. This, uh, you know, this, it's this attitude of indifference. That's your problem, brother. <laughs> hey, brother, my name's there. That's your problem. Deal with it. That's not God's attitude.
1: Amen.
0: That's not the attitude we should have.
1: Amen.
0: <laughs> listen to me. God's not going to remove you from the problem just because you don't like the problem. God's going to give you grace to go through the problem. You understand? Now, right, listen to me. We have a divine purpose, a divine function. Listen to me very carefully. God's not going to remove the remnant,
1: Amen.
0: but he's going to shake the remnant.
1: Yes, sir.
0: He's going to purify the remnant. Yes, and because we're told, all right, you all ready? You got your Bibles? You brought your Bibles, right? Because you didn't come here to hear me, did you? you? You came to hear the word of the Lord. All right, let's go, go to Malachi. Yes. Let's go to Malachi. Come on. Let's go to Malachi. Last book of the New Testament or the Old Testament. Malachi, look with me here. I'm going to show you something what God's going to do to the church and what He's going to do for the world. Go to Malachi 3. Malachi 3. And look what He says. Malachi 3.1. Malachi 3.1. Look what it says here now. Now, He says, Behold. I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. All right, now let's stop right there. Just hold up right there. God through the prophet Malachi says that a messenger is coming. He said it's, he'll, he'll have a divine purpose, a function to prepare the way for the Lord. Yes. So there is a great work for this me- messenger to do, a great work and in preparing the way for the lord is you have to understand that that language is, is is an old testament language used in the bible to describe someone who prepares the way for a coming king when a king would travel through a through a, a village an area a region you'd always have people who ran before the king they were they were ones who prepared the way to let everybody know prepare themselves the king is coming the king is coming cuz you didn't want to get caught unprepared when the king arrived, see, that could cost you your life. Now, I know today that sounds kind of strange. This man, I, the pr- president came down the road, up. I could care less. Well, it doesn't matter whether you care uh, about it or not. This is a message of responsibility and, and, and a functionality of, of the church. We have a responsibility to go before the Lord, to prepare others for the coming king. Amen. You understand? And by the way, in this particular case, Malachi, there's you have to look, back, look at this. Well, let me, let's go to Malachi 4 for just a second. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it together. Malachi 4, verse 5. Malachi 4, 5. Now we're in the same book. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. All right. So <clears throat> now we have a name to that messenger. His name is Elijah. Now, obviously, Malachi was written after Elijah actually, the first Elijah actually appeared. So clearly we now know a second Elijah is coming. And frankly, if you read this very carefully, we know a third Elijah is coming. The first Elijah was Elijah the Tishbite. The second Elijah was John the Baptist. And you can look at the paralleling characteristics of these two men, and they all, it's almost identical in so many ways. And it's interesting, if you go before, uh, through these two characteristics, or these two individuals, and look at the circumstances in which they rose up, at both times, the, the, na- the nation in which they rose up and the world at large was corrupt to the core. Corrupt to the core. They were doing things that would just bogly say, what in the world is going on? And what's interesting, if you look at the church that existed at the same time they rose up, they were just as corrupt as the world. Now, in Elijah's day, unfortunately, that poor fellow, God bless him, he thought he was the only one faithful to God. You know, and then sometimes that happens. You sometimes feel alone. You know, when you're fighting the battles of the Lord, I'm gonna tell you, sometimes you feel alone. You know? And that, by the way, that's why I love when y'all contact us and say, we're praying for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, you don't have any idea. You said to me right now, Ray, what would you rather have? I got a 20. I can spot you right now, a 20 or a prayer. I say, give me the prayer, keep the 20. I'm not kidding. Keep, give me the prayer, keep the 20. I can tell you right now, because we're not making it without prayer. Yes. I don't care who you think you are or what you think is going on. You are not going to heaven unless you are praying, Christian. You need calluses on the knees. Listen. In both situations, first Elijah, second Elijah, listen, the the nations were corrupt. The people became morally bankrupt. The politicians were immoral (laughs) perverts. You, you, have, you have a, a, a God then raising up, in this case, Elijah the Tishbite, John the Baptist. You have them going before the coming of the king. And now Elijah the Tishbite's a forerunner of John the Baptist, which is then therefore a forerunner of the, of the third Elijah. All, both the first and second Elijah are parallels to the third Elijah. What happened in the first happened in the second. What happened in the first and the second happens in the third. You understand? In terms of the circumstances. When, listen, when, when Malachi says Elijah is coming, it's not literal Elijah. It's, it, and he says a messenger. It's not a person. It's a movement that yes. takes upon themselves the attributes, the characteristics of Elijah, the Tishbite, and John the Baptist, who is the second Elijah. Therefore, they become the third Elijah. Yes, sir. And let me tell you something right now, dear friends. Elijah, Elijah was no politician. He had kings and queens trembling, trembling before him. Now, he wasn't rude, obnoxious, and belligerent. But he was straightforward in the message. And before he could go and go prepare the way for the king, he had to give a message to the church. How long are you between two opinions? Stop sitting in the fence in the middle of the road. And wake up to the reality. First and foremost, get your life right with God Almighty. Stop playing, church. Start living what you claim you believe in. No, bro, if I do that, it means I can make changes. Yeah, that's right. You've got to start making some changes.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. I'm sorry, dear friends. What do you want from me? I have to tell you what it is that God says. Yes. Whether we should be friends or not, that's another issue altogether. I would prefer that we are friends. I really do. I'm, I'm not sadistic. I don't want enemies. Amen. But I know. Long enough, listen, I'm 62 years old, please. Spare me the eulogies. I don't need any. Listen very carefully to me. I'm too old now to change. I know that. And in some ways, that's good. In some ways, I know that can be bad. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you this right now. When it comes to telling the truth in terms of the message... Uh, I think you know by now I have not an ounce or shred of diplomacy. I don't know what that even means. I try sometimes, but sometimes it comes out the very opposite of my intent. I know that I have to tell you the truth. I've got to tell you what it is that God says in his word. What you do with it, that's up to you. I have freed myself of your blood. I'm no longer guilty if you choose to rebel. I have a moral responsibility. I remember, you know, listen, friends, I learned this from many a good preachers in the past. They're all gone now. I feel like when I look back at my life and and, and who I used to preach with, I I do sometimes feel like Elijah. I'm the only one left in terms of that one group. In one sense, that's true. I mean, there's one or two of us still around. But the point is, the bigger the big boys, as we say, we're all they're all gone now. So you just left with the crumbs. But I can tell you this. We have a work to do. and We got to get busy.
1: Yes,
0: that third Elijah, that third Elijah. Now, let me see, let me tell you something. The nucleus is coming from the remnant church. Let me repeat that again. The third Elijah, the nucleus is coming from the remnant church. Amen. You say, well, how do you know that? How? Go to Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> Look at verse 17, Revelation 12, 17. The dragon was wroth with the woman, the woman being, of course, the church. Yes, and by the way, chapter 12, I'll, I'll talk about this in a second. The dragon, Satan, is angry with the, with the woman, went to make more war with the remnant of her seed. Yes, sir. This is just before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the last day group. So we now know, based on Malachi in Revelation chapter 12, and there's other places as well, the word remnant is synonymous to Elijah. Meaning in terms of its functionality, its purpose, its role. So the nucleus, the nucleus that will make up Elijah in the last days, that third Elijah, comes from the remnant church. But there will be, in the final moments of earth's history, Eleventh-hour workers, you will come in and help us finish the task. Yes, sir. They will get paid the same; they get the same wages—the wages of eternal life. Yes, ma'am. It may well be that we will have to take the brunt, the brunt of the of the of the task. That may well be. However, though. That does not justify complaining, whining, and murmuring about yes. the task that lies ahead. Yes, sir. The time has come, dear friends, when a crisis arise to get behind the effort and push forward in our work. And remember, listen to me: this is no time to hide yes. who you are. Unfurl the colors we are told. Let everybody see whose side you're on. Yes. We are soldiers yes, sir. of the Lord. Now we haven't been drafted. This is a volunteer army. Yes, sir. You volunteer to enroll in the army of the Lord. Now you want say I don't like the I don't like the position I begin. Hold up here. What do you want to be? The general. <laughs> so I don't like being the cook. I, I wanna want, want, how come I can't do what he did? Listen to me. First of all, if God did not appoint you to delegate to others regarding the nature of the gift that they that God gave to them, who are you to tell tell me or me to tell you regarding what it is that God has asked you to do? When God, our great general, gives you an order, obey. Because if you don't obey, that's called treason.
1: Yes, sir.
0: You know what they do to soldiers who don't obey orders in a time of war? You're shot. They just say, well, we, let me tell you, we got other soldiers to take your place. Put a bullet in him and end it. Let's go. Move on to the next soldier. They haven't got time to play with you.
1: Yes, sir.
0: They're in the middle of a war. Yes,
1: sir.
0: We're in a war. Mm-hmm. I just read it to you out of Revelation 12. Yes, We're in the middle of a war. Yes, sir. And everybody, want, or at least there's a, a, sadly a, a number of people who want to sit around and play patty cakes. That's all they want to do. The time has come for you to, to seriously contemplate what's going on in your life. You better start taking a good count of what's going on inside of you. You need, and I can't do this for you, you can't do it for me. And let me tell you, I've, I've said this before, and I, I'll tell you again, listen very carefully. If you're not honest with yourself, you're yes, going to deceive yourself into going straight to hell all the while thinking you're okay. Yes,
1: sir. That's right. That's
0: right. Honesty is a very hard thing for us to do when we look at ourselves. Yes, sir. It really is, because let me tell you something, what you're going to discover. You're going to discover things about you that aren't nice. See, God wants you to see yourself as he sees you so that you can go to him for the remedy. He wants to clean you up, not have any spot, no wrinkle, no any such thing. That's the church that he takes to heaven, not the militant church, the church triumphant. That's the role of the coming of Elijah. Look, go back to Malachi. Go back to Malachi. Look what he says here in the book of Malachi. Look what he says in Malachi. Go back to Malachi with me. Malachi, please look with me now. Watch what he says here. Malachi. All right. Malachi chapter, five, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. All right. That's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just before Jesus returns, here comes the third Elijah. He's got a mission. He has a purpose. He is determined to do the will of God no matter what. Look what he goes on to say. And he, this is the movement of Elijah. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And what does that really imply? Let's relegate this down to the common denominator. Reconciliation. Yes, sir. Things need to be made right with some of you in the church. Some Amen. of you don't like each other.
1: Amen.
0: You Gossip, lie, cheat, whatever else you're doing. Oh, Miss Sally Jane, you, you hear Miss Sally Jane? Did? Brother, I don't know what in the world's going on with Sally Jane, but she got a problem. Yes. Sir. Maybe you got the problem. Have you ever gone to Sally Jane? Amen. He said, "Sister Sally, Amen. we need to sit down and have a prayer and talk. Yes,
1: sir.
0: Not in front of everybody, yes. but in the quietness. You two. See, not with an attitude to <clears throat> condemn, with an attitude to reconcile." It's easy to condemn. Anybody can throw a rock through the window. It don't take brains to throw a rock, but it takes all the grace of God Almighty to reconcile. Yes, Amen. And let me tell you, you're going to have to eat a lot of humble pie. Trust me. I have to, as much of humble pie I've eaten, i tell you, I've, I've, I've often thought to myself, maybe I've invented that, that pie. Because, man, I tell you, I've eaten a bunch of it. And i got to, you know, the sad reality is when you're going through this, when you got to say to somebody, look, I want to apologize. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't mean. You know what? No excuse for my sin. Yes.
1: Sir.
0: I don't want to justify because there's yes, no justification. But I'm sorry. I apologize. Let me yes, tell you sir. something. You know, you, you, when you go through that experience, <clears throat> it's it's very hard <clears throat> because it's not in our nature to humble ourselves before each other. Yes. no, no. Nah, nah, nah. See, there's the nature yeah. of man. You got to understand how proudful we really are. Oh, we got hearts filled with pride. Yes. Don't tell me. Yes. You can barely say i po- I've seen. Husbands and wives, they can't even say, I'm sorry to each other. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sir. And not always, but sometimes. You know, they can't even say, I'm sorry, honey. I apologize. Please, sir. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, you know. Sir. Yes, sir. <coughs> it's true. Yes. Sir. yes sir. The heart is deceitfully wicked, friends. It's deceitfully wicked. It's corrupt through the core. Yes. Sir. That's why God gives you a heart transplant. He doesn't change, the, you know, he, when He says He changes your heart. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, 24 to 30 says, God will give us a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. He'll take away the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. See, He takes yes. away. Yes. He takes it away. It's a yes. heart transplant. You're getting a whole new heart. Yes. Yes. So what is he talking about? He's talking about reconciliation. Now, obviously, primarily, when you look at the context here, fathers with the children, This in the home life. So what is what is God saying? What's he saying? There's a problem in the home. And a lot of homes is a problem. Yes. Sir. <clears throat> and then he goes on to say this, and the heart of the children to the fathers, again, a reciprocal concept and idea of reconciliation. It's not a one-way street. Yes.
1: Mm-mm,
0: mm-mm. yes. If, if we got to make things right, look, let me say, let's assume you're the innocent party. Don't make it hard on the one who's trying to apologize to you. Amen. Don't make it. Don't make them grovel in the mud of, of you know, this. Uh, Amen. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you should condone nor excuse the act of transgression that was committed against you. You don't do that because you right. don't want to soften the, the, yes. the issue of sin. You don't yes. want to. You know what I'm saying? You don't. Don't. No, no. You don't do that. However, though, when they come to you and say, I'm sorry. Right. And they say, say, "Brother, it's all right. It's all right, brother. Put it away. All forgiven. Yes. Make it. You know, make it. Don't sit there and say mm-hmm, about time. <laughs> I've been waiting. It's about time. I always liked you, but thank God it's about time. You know, it's a ama- man, but we're so cruel. We can be cruel people. Listen, yes. we can yes. be cruel to each other, and yes. don't think you can. Oh, not me. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. You can play the snake just as quickly as anybody. <clears throat> So it's reciprocal. Yeah. It's a reciprocal thing. Again, you're not acknowledging anything regarding the nature of what was done against you as if you had been guilty to it, yes. unless you are. But yes. you're, what you're doing is, you, you don't, and again, you, you, want to, you want to bring about healing, healing. And so if you can do anything to help along in that relationship, do it. Do it. Amen. All right? All right? And then he goes on to say, and he says, unless, and, and here's a curse, by the way, he said, in other words, if, there's, if this doesn't take place, if there's not a change in the heart of the people, he says, I will curse the earth with a curse. I, 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 problems are going to really take, if you thought you had a problem before, you wait till you, 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 you have a, a, what God is talking about, because what he's really dealing with is compounding the problem. Have you ever had a problem? That you've done. Now you don't have to give, I don't need any answers or anything, but I just want you to think about it. Have you ever committed something or done something that ended up being a problem? And instead of you acknowledging the problem that you just committed, you, you lie about it or somehow, some way you, uh, you, you, you know, try to put some veneer over top. Now What you're really doing, dear friends, is compounding the problem. Now you've made it worse. Because you don't realize it's just like making things right with somebody. When you know God's telling you to make something right, make yes. it right. Because if you don't, what happens is gonna the, you, uh, lot, it's going to make you. It's going to make it a lot harder for you to make it right when the time comes. Because yes. you're just making it worse. Yes.
1: yes.
0: And what, that's what Satan wants. He wants you to harden your heart to such an extent that when the opportunity presents itself to reconcile, you won't reconcile because now you've got too much pride on the line. Yes you understand? And remember, what was Satan's reason he fell? Pride. There you go. Does he know the condition of man? Does he know the... Does Satan understand the doctrine of the depravity of man? Yes or no? Yes, he does. He knows it. He knows it better than anyone here. Now, that's why the Bible talks about the nature of man so much in detail. God wants you to understand you. When you understand you, that's when you start to cry out, oh, Jesus, save me. Yes. God, have mercy on me and forgive me. And then again, again, when you start to realize who you really are, I mean, in terms of the nature of your your, your condition of your heart, friends, that's that's when you start to look at other people in a different way because then you realize I'm not better than you.
1: Yes. yes. You
0: understand? I'm not better than yes. you. We're all in the same boat. Yes. We're all existing together in terms of the nature of who we really are in uh, in this un, 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 uh unsanctified condition. Now, we don't have to say, have to be there, but we can be delivered through Christ. Now, look, I want to quickly just go to something here. Let me see if I can get this. uh, Yeah, let me stop right there. Now, we've just kind of looked at that last verse, but I want to kind of give an overview of the remnant church. And we're going to talk about this, by the way. We're going to continue right on in the second message. Don't miss it now, because in the second message, I'm going to talk about the purpose of the remnant. Why did God raise us? up? Now, I talked a little bit about the, the, uh, this morning, but I'm going to uh, deal with it a little bit more uh, in, in detail. But <clears throat> uh, I want to sh- show you something. I want to show you this. Uh, when, you look, when you look at the, the, the breakdown of this chapter, the 12th chapter, because the 12th chapter of, of, of Revelation is the history of God's church from really covering the, the, the Christian era, okay, and 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 so you really want to look at it from this time. The woman and the dragon there in verses 1 to 6, the conflict in the early church, right? So you have that early existence, the birth of Christ, and then the apostolic church, your church of Ephesus, and Satan waging war against them. So much so, so much so that, that eventually, we, we will see later, the woman in verse 6 fled to the wilderness. It got so bad. It got so bad they had to flee a place of safety. God preserved the place on this earth for them. And then, of course, when you look at that, you, you, when you read those first six verses, and by the way, the first six verses is a microcosm of the chapter. But when you look at that, you start to realize, wow, man, this is, this is intense. You, you start to understand. By the way, if you do a little research on the early church and the history of this particular period, you see the early church suffered horrendously. I mean, they really paid a price. I mean, it truly was. You know, the, the early church was actually bought in blood, not just the blood of Jesus, but the blood of the saints. I mean, really, they paid for it in blood. So you can see that, but then the natural question would arise in your mind when you start to read these kind of things. You say, "Well, how did this thing all get started? Where you know? Where, I mean, what in the world's going on here?" And of course, that's the verses of seven and nine. God then t- what He does is He basically puts a pause on this vision, in, in terms of what was taking place in regard to the church, He said, Let, "Let's pause there. Just hold up. I'm going to come back to that. Hold up. Pause this." I won't take you to heaven now. Let, let's go back in time. Now, he doesn't tell how far back in time because that's not relevant, is it? Right? Is it relevant? No. That, what difference does it make it was 10,000 years or 10 billion years ago? It's not, it's not the point. Nobody cares. It's not the point. It's not, it's, not, it's not revealed because it has no meaning, no purpose for us in regarding our salvation. However, though, there was at one time war in heaven. We know that. And this conflict between Christ and Satan, And when you study this section out very clearly, you'll find that the very core essence had to do regarding the nature of the government of God. When Satan rose up and rebelled against God in his kingdom, he was rising up to the point of committing what we call a coup d'etat, an overthrow of God's government, his kingdom. Now, when you overthrow a government, a kingdom, you have to attack the foundation of that government. And the very foundation of God's government is his law. Yes. The law of God is the foundation of God's kingdom. And remember, what is God's law? God's law, right, in Exodus thirty-three eighteen. if you study actually Exodus 33 and 34, you'll find out that the law is a revelation of God's character, a revelation of his will. Yes. If you understand the law, you can understand who God is. You understand what he's like. And so the transcript of, uh, of the foundation of God's government is a transcript of his character, his will, yes. as revealed in the Ten Commandments. Yes, So what was Satan attacking? He was attacking the character of God. And this is why God sent his son in the world. Because he said, if you see me, you've seen the father. Satan was attacking God's character. Christ came to show the character of the father. So that when you see Jesus, you see the character of the father. All right. So it's a clarification. And in so doing, through the act of clarifying the, who the Father was, Jesus saved mankind. In other words, at that point, he may, as as Paul talks about reconciling the world unto himself, God was reconciling the world unto himself through Jesus Christ. Yes, remember that covenant relationship I was talking about before, yes. that 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 uh, between two parties. When God reconciled the world unto himself through Jesus Christ, you have to understand something: that gift. That God performed through Christ and reconciled the world was two things. I listen to me. It was universal in nature, meaning what? Meaning what? Listen to me. That when Christ died on the cross, He didn't die for some people. He died for all people. Yes. You understand me? No matter where they were born, who they were born under in terms of their parentage, neither no, doesn't matter where they were born. Yes. It doesn't matter what sins they committed. Yes. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. For God so loved the world. world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now here's the qualifying factor: Whosoever should believe in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. Therefore, that text teaches me that even though the doctrine of reconciliation is universal in nature, not everybody's going to be saved. Yes, sir. In other words, was it God's will, and is it God's will that all should be saved? In other words, is that the intent? When he gave his son in behalf of, of mankind, did he want all the world to be saved? Yes. yes. yes will all the world be saved? No, no. no. So the gift is universal in nature. Yes. Sir. But not everybody will be saved. Therefore, we do not accept universalism. Yes. Sir. You understand? Yes, sir. But we do believe in the universality of the gift. Yes. Sir. It was for everybody. Yes. Sir. All right. Now look. So that's, that's number one. Number two, regarding the nature of the sacrifice of Christ, when God reconciled the world to Himself, listen to me, that act, that act, when Jesus said it is finished, that is a finished act. Alright, God does not need Christ to do anything else to reconcile the world to Himself regarding making provision for salvation. You understand me? The provision has been made through the sacrifice of Christ.
1: Yes sir.
0: Amen. It's complete. It's done. So that meaning the sacrifice that God offered to the world through his son in order that they might be reconciled to uh, to himself is a finished act. Christ doesn't have to die again. That's the point Paul makes in the book of Hebrews. You see, under the Melchizedek priesthood, the sacrifice is offered once. Not like the Levitical priesthood where the sacrifices are every day, all day long, every year, all the time. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient to atone for the sins of mankind. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. So therefore, salvation is relegated to this position. And mark it down well. That means salvation is in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Let me repeat yes. it again. Christ alone. Yes. And it's Amen. through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's by the grace of God alone. Yes. And all of this is brought about through the preaching of God's word alone. Yes, sir. You understand? Amen. Listen to me. Listen to me. Amen. So the doctrine of reconciliation is critical. It is critical. It must be brought about. And so you see here. You see here, dear friends, there was war in heaven. It all all revolved around the law of God, the foundation of God's government, a revelation of God's character, his will. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, one of the purposes of his role as the second member of the Godhead his role is to reveal the character of the Father. Yes. That's why, that's why Satan was so angry at Jesus. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was so angry at him and still is. <clears throat> but he it's too late. Uh, Jesus Christ has paid the price. And by the way, just as a footnote of when Christ said it is finished, he wretched back ownership of this earth. Because remember, when Satan got Adam and Eve to sin. You have to go back into the Genesis account. God made them stewards of the earth.
1: Yes,
0: sir. Okay? Yes, sir. He gave them dominion. It's yes, what it says. He gave them dominion over this earth.
1: Yes,
0: sir. All right? But what happened was when, Sa- when Adam and Eve sinned, Satan then t- took claim of yes, ownership. That's yes, why in the book of Job, when he came there with all the sons of God coming to, to meet with the, fa- with the father, mm-hmm. and, and God said, what are you doing here? He says, I represent the earth.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: And, and of course, uh, uh, and, and then the conversation turned to Job. But having said that, when Jesus said it is finished, he took ownership back yes. from Lucifer. In other words, he he proved he's not the owner of this earth. Yes, God never lost or relinquished ownership of the earth. Remember, Adam and Eve were stewards yes. of the earth.
1: Yes,
0: They never really owned it in the first place. Yes. So Satan actually, actually, was lying about ownership. And he knew it. And God and God said well. I'm going to send my son. And he's going to deal with it. All war in heaven. Began there. And it came down to this earth. And then you go to verses 10 through 12. And a message comes from heaven. And the message is not. He says woe be to the inhabitants of the earth. Because the devil knows he got a short time. And he's coming down at you. Yes, Because the controversy is now on this earth. You know, in in Hebrews chapter one verse three, it talks about. I like the King James translation better when it says the worlds. You know, the word the worlds were made. The reason being because the implication is very clear. There's other inhabited planets. Mm-hmm. It's not just the universe that God created through the word, but the about other plan, other worlds yes. in the universe. Um, and that clearly implies there's other beings. Now they're not, please, please. I, I, with these Martians and all of these, you know, you, come on, please.
1: Amen. If
0: listen, I can come up with a better creature in terms of creating somebody better looking than that ugly thing. That you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen those pictures of NASA? The big, bulging eyes, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Please. You know that's not of God, because if that's all God's creativity he's got left in the tank, mm, we're in trouble. But he he doesn't create something ugly. That's right. Can I tell you why I know that? Look in the mirror. You're going to see a beautiful bee made yes, in sir. the image of God Almighty. Yes. Sir. yes sir. That's how I know God creates beautiful things. Look at nature. Look at the flowers. Yes. Sir. Look at look at how God made them. Yes. Sir. It's a beautiful thing.
1: Good.
0: Look at the birds of I, mean, I, never, I remember one time. I and I went to Africa when I saw I, I never I thought I saw a green tree before but not until I got to Africa and I saw the color greens there the different shades of greens on the tree I thought man I couldn't believe how it was almost as if the tree was plugged into a light boom it lit up and then the flowers the vibrant colors just unbelievable and when I went over to Australia to the northern part <coughs> I think I, I can't remember Brisbane I don't remember somewhere up there but it was hot up there and I'm gonna tell you you see you see the the parakeets the birds up there so bright so bright in color you cannot believe honestly you're looking at and, and multiple not two or three colors sometimes five six seven eight colors or more in one bird. and, and they're all bright and it's like man that can't and think about this think about it that six thousand years defective bird and plants and, and trees. Mm. Think about that. Imagine what they must have been original.
1: Mm.
0: unbelievable, unbelievable. So there's a message from heaven, and what he's basically saying is, you all better get ready. You better understand what we're dealing with down on this earth. See, see I'm, 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 I'm pro Biden. I'm pro Trump. And I'm,
1: I'm,
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking to people, you have got to be kidding. Are you that? You have you relegated your life to that low of a level? Yes. Friends, I'm pro-Jesus. Because yes. Yes. I know my enemy is not Biden. It's not the federal government. It's not any... Listen, I, yes. it's Satan. And he, now he's using anyone who, who surrenders to him. He'll use you against God's church. Now, that's true. But yes. what God's people have got to see, you've got to understand what's behind it. Yes. You understand? You got to see what's really going on. See the bigger picture. See what's really taking place. And the way you do that is you understand what God is saying. And then finally, we look at here, Revelation 13 to 17. The dragon persecutes the woman. Now, now he picks back up on the theme of verse 6. Okay? Because she flees into the wilderness again 1260 years and so forth. And and then eventually uh, she comes out of that wilderness experience to be rediscovered on this earth As God intended. And this, of course, is where Revelation chapter 10 kicks in. When the discovery of the truth of the little book. Remember the little book that was sweet in the mouth, but bitter in the belly. Remember John had that experience. And what did he say at the last part of that chapter? Remember what he said in verse 10 or chapter 10, verse 11? What did he say? Thou must prophesy again. again. Now, what did he mean by that? Because there was the message the message that was given to him was sweet. And the basic essence was Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming. The imminent return. Jesus is coming, friends. He's coming. He's coming. Get ready. Get ready. And that message needs to be repeated again. It needs to be told again. But before before we can get others to be prepared for that event, listen to me, God's going to do something. He's going to bring the third Elijah. Mm-hmm. And he's coming. And he's coming sooner than you think. The only thing, is, the, the, the only question is whether you'll be a part of it. Because remember, Elijah's not a person. It's a
1: movement.
0: A movement of destiny. A movement that will finish the work of God on this earth. And then, of course, uh, it comes down to this question, as I put there, who is the remnant? Now, look, I'm going to tell you something to be very honest with you, right? Listen very carefully. I did not intend to preach that message the way it came out. Because uh, my notes are... um, are dealing with these issues i've been i've been having this burden going you know t- t- impressed upon me by god go back over the remnant church go back over the remnant church and preach wh- tell the people wh- what their responsibility is tell them what they've got to be doing now and tell them who they who we are we, we're not another church Amen. we're a movement of destiny the question is whether you'll be a part of that movement you understand Reality has to sink in at some point in time. And I'm going to tell you something. At some point in time, the whole world is going to wake up to reality. But the vast majority of it will be too late. Yes. You understand the drying up of the River Euphrates? You understand the fifth plague? Remember total darkness? Sixth plague drying up of the River Euphrates? Seventh is the hail and the second coming of Christ? Do you understand it's, it's only at the end of the, uh, when the of the sixth plague comes in, the drying up of the, the whole world wakes up to reality. They're lost. That's when they'll wake up. And that's when they'll realize, the minute they'll go to the ministers and say, you, you, You're the one who told us these people were crazy. You're the one who told us they were wrong. You're the one who told us Sunday was the day we ought to worship and not the seventh day of the week. You're the one who told us not to believe them. You're the one who told us to go kill them. And the servant of the Lord describing what will happen thereafter is very... And by the way, if you read very carefully the book of Revelation, it says, The wicked, when they wake up, will eat... The beast and the whore and the false prophet and eater like fire. A retaliation is coming. And let me tell you something. They're not just going to be upset and disappointed. They're going to be under satanic fury. And God's going to unleash his judgment on them. We're told from the pen of inspiration, we're told from the pen of inspiration that that the people who are lost will be so angry, they will seize upon the ministers, the religious leaders, and tear them physically apart, literally, physically grabbing them and ripping them apart, physically with their bare hands. Ripping them apart. How angry do you got to be that you're going to shred somebody physically with your hands? Now can I tell you a true story? This actually happened. You ever heard of Theop- uh, Thermopylae? The Battle of Thermopylae? How about have you ever heard of Leonidas? The great Spartan king. God, he was a Spartan gate cuz in those days when you were a king you were declared a god in their religion. But the great Spartan Leonidas on the Battle of Thermopylae, he met he met Xerxes on the field of conflict in that battle there in the in the uh, Pass of Thermopylae. Let me tell you this true story. of What happened? These three hundred Spartans warriors met these Persian army and and I mean handed for, for, for a number of they handed them uh, a, a brutal beating because the, the what the reason they the reason that that battle uh, uh, Leonidas chose that pass. At Thermopylae was because it was a narrow pass, a smaller army. That doesn't mean you could have a billion men. A billion men. But if only ten men can come at you at a time, Mach 300 will blow you down every time. You understand? So it's not so much the number or the odds, it's where you're fighting the battle. You remember that. You remember that. Pick and choose the battleground you fight on. You understand me? Don't fight on Satan's ground. You'll lose every time. Amen. When in when in battle, you pick the ground. And so what happened was, uh, obviously, eventually, you know, your, your men are going to wear down. It's only so much you can take physically as a human being. And so, uh, uh, um, to cut to the chase, these men now, uh, uh, Leonidas had had been has is dead. They. they uh, Killed him through the arrows because the, the the way the the Spartans would fight, they believed that if you did not fight hand to hand, physical, you were a coward. So they didn't use bow and arrows. They didn't use those other you know the technology to advance in terms of weaponry because they felt that was a symbol of coward. You were a coward, and so whatever. So eventually, they these the the the, the historians who wrote the account told how told about how that the Spartans butchered and slaughtered the Persian army, just cut them to pieces with their swords and their shields. And eventually what happened was, uh, they, they eventually lost their shields, they lost their, their, their swords in the conflict. Now they were down to hand-to-hand fighting. But the Persian armies, they said that, in, in re- recording what had happened, they said that the, the Spartans who had survived at this point in the battle, became so vicious so vicious that they feared them more than they did when they had their spears and their and their swords and their shields. Now these have no armor. They have no way of defending themselves. But they went and attacked them with their hands and their teeth. And they bit them and killed them with their hands and their teeth. They and they said they growled like wild animals. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to stop and think about this. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. You can go read it. It's an unbelievable historical account of what, it's amazing uh, how, um, well, it's not just, but how how determined human nature can be. It's amazing what God God. The, the mechanisms of what God put in us, now, you can give it to God or you can give it to Satan. But the mechanism, God designed us to survive. Do you understand that? God didn't design you to die. And he didn't give you the will to die. Don't you understand? He gave you a will to survive. That's why, by the way, just another footnote. Can I tell you another true story? Just to dovetail into this one, during World War II. You know, Hitler outlawed a lot of books, Right? Now that some of the books should have been outlawed, they were pro homosexual, bisexual, all that kind of. Yeah, yeah, let's burn them. I'm all I'm all in favor of that. However, however, you know the book, you know the book, um, um, Gone with the Wind. You know the movie, right? It's a famous movie. Everybody know, right? But the book was published, uh, I think, back in 1939 or 38, 37, somewhere around there, 36. I can't remember exactly, but it was published in the, in the, in the 30s, right? You know that Adolf Hitler and, and, and Goebbels, and the propaganda man, you know they banned that book? From not, from, they didn't want that book in, in Nazi Germany. You know why? You know what the story is all about? People say, oh, well, the story is about the Civil War. No, it's not. Civil War is the backdrop. Yeah. Don't you know what the movie's about? Don't you know what the book is about? It's about survival. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive. That's the spirit of man. The book, because Hitler didn't want to inspire his enemies to fight. And the book of, uh, of Gone with the Wind is all about, I'm not going to surrender to my enemy. Whether they be the circumstances that I find myself in, whether it be someone physically opposing me, it doesn't matter. That's my enemy. I'm going to survive. And so, and so Leonidas and his men, well, Leonidas was dead, but they fought tenaciously to the end. Let me tell you something, dear friends. Let me tell you something right now. We have to have the will to survive. We've got to become fighters. And I mean this in the good way, spiritually. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going down. I'm going to fight for my salvation. It's worth fighting for. If your salvation is not worth fighting for, tell me what's worth fighting for. I mean, really, if your salvation, if the crown of life isn't worth fighting for, what is then worth fighting for? If the most precious thing God would ever give to you is eternal life, is not worth fighting for, Amen. then tell me what is. There isn't anything else.
1: Yes. And I can
0: tell you this right now. This is one of the reasons why we have our nation in the condition it's in today. Because a lot of people have just simply given up fighting for what's really worth fighting for. Amen. You say, well, this nation is not worth fighting for anything. Oh, no, I disagree with you heartily. I believe we should fight for traditional marriage. I believe we should fight against abortion. Yes, I believe we should fight against against uh, uh, um, uh, the, the, the LBG2XYZ345, whatever the number they got, and uh, letters they got going on right now. And let your voice be known. Sorry, I'm nah, not going to accept it. And yes, I'm not going to ever call a man who claims to be a woman a her
1: yes, or a
0: she. Yes, well, my name is Sally Jane, but it used to be Billy Bob. Well, Billy Bob, I'm not calling you Sally Jane. It's as simple as that. Well, I'm offended. I would say, get a life, because <laughs> I'm not complying. Yes, sir. I'm not doing it by the grace of God Almighty. Yes, sir. And I'm tar- I'm tired of Christians bending, bowing, bow, and all to the wickedness, yes, and sir. then and then actually believe when they come to church they're worshiping God.
1: Yes,
0: Excuse me.
1: Yes.
0: And, and you have the audacity now to pray. To, to the God who told you from the Word of God that the very things you're surrendered to are an abomination to Him, you're now going to praise His holy name. <laughs> Please keep your praises, because yes. they're filthiness in the eyes of God Almighty.
1: Yes. Amen. Listen, I could
0: go on and on. We're going to pick right up where we left off this afternoon. We're going to pick right up. But we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. All right, listen to me now. God is good. Yes, and, is amen. And greatly to be praised. Now, listen to yes, me right amen. now. Listen, we're not going to. We're going to forget the closing hymn. Not going to do it. This is my closing hymn. It's an appeal. Yes. I want to see you in the kingdom of heaven. Yes. But that choice is up to you. Nobody can make it for you. Yes. Nobody can make that for you. But I have to make an appeal. You know deep down inside every single person here, no exception, you could be a better Christian. You know that. You all know that. You could be better than what you are right now. Don't tell me what you can't be. No, I can't. Yes, you can.
1: Yes,
0: yes you can. There's somewhere or something in your life you can improve upon in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Something. Don't tell me what can't be. And I know there can be. But I'm going to tell you what evangelism has taught me in so many years I've been doing it. I'm going to tell you this right now. I've got to be able to put you in a position where you're confronted with reality. In other words, evangelism teaches you this. If you understand it correctly, I've got to put you in a corner. I'm going to force you to look at reality. Now, some people say, well, you're making me feel guilty. You know, that, that's not the right way to go about it. You don't want to make people feel guilty. And I always tell them, I say, I'll, I always tell people this. They say this to me every time. I say, well, you'll never be an evangelist for God.
1: Yes, sir.
0: Because you don't understand the art of saving a soul.
1: Yes, sir.
0: Because I'm not here to placate to your, your, your ill-gotten uh, notions regarding your own condition. You have got to wake up to reality. And it is the role of the evangelist to make you see the truth head yes. on. That's why I'm going to put you in the corner. I'm going to force you to look. What you do after that is up to you. But I'm going to only leave you two alternatives. I'm not going to leave you a third option. You understand me? Evangelism is about leaving only two options. You know what they are? Yes or no. Yes. That's it. There's no maybes. There's no third, third option. And now you're going to have to decide right now whether you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And all that it implies. Or you're going to reject him here right now. So you're going to have to make a decision. I'm not going to give you a third option because there isn't a third option. You're going to either say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask him into my heart and ask him to help me and change me to be the Christian that he longs for me to be. Because I'm not where I should be. And I want to grow in Christ Jesus. Now, how many want to say with me, by the grace of God Almighty, I qualified that statement. So listen, by the grace of God Almighty, I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior. Come on, don't be afraid now. Put your hands up in heaven. Let everybody, let the angels record it all. Yes, sir amen let us pray father in heaven we thank you once again we thank you for your kindness and your mercy you've been so so patient with us and lord we don't deserve at any point in time your kindness i'm thankful to know that you delight in your mercy you ever live to make intercession on our behalf some people are ever living for wealth fame fortune or whatever it may be but you ever live to save us oh god i pray help us Help us not to be in your way so that you can save us. Oh, Lord, help us not to frustrate the workings of the the Holy Spirit. I pray now today, dear Lord, as the commitment has been made here by each and every one who raised their hands, that you will help us to surrender all. We can't do it on our own. This is why we're asking you to come and take our hearts. You said that if we ask anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will do it. You will not withhold any good thing from us. You told us that your word will never come back void. You said that you you will you will not lie. You said you will do abundantly above all that we ask or think. You said nothing is impossible for you. And God, I'm asking right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, save us in the kingdom. Oh God, help us to have the, the spirit of Elijah to fight the good fight of faith, to endure to the very end. Bless each and every one of us. Now we pray and we thank you and we grace you with your presence. Lord, also, too, I want to pray a blessing on the food. Amen. Oh, God, bless it and bless the hands that have prepared it. Thank you so much for the time we've had together. May it be a, 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 uh, a continuation uh, of the blessings of the Lord we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs>